Well, good morning to you. How is everybody? They moved me back here because I spit a lot, so you're safe. This morning, I um, invite you to listen closely as we open up the Word of God and read these uh, five verses. I think it's five. Um, these verses are going to be the tools we use this morning to go to work in our lives. So pay close attention. You're going to need to know the tools that, are, uh, that we're going to use this morning. Here we go. The Apostle Paul writes in verse 13 of chapter 4, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, don't be ignorant, about those who are asleep, those who are dead, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep, have died. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left, until the coming of the Lord, we will not precede those who have fallen asleep, have died. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. I was thinking about preaching in general on a Sunday morning when we come together. And I was thinking, it's not so much that we come together to study the scriptures as it is that we come together to let the scriptures study us, to let the scriptures confront us and probe us and press us. And what a great opportunity this morning. I want to pose a question this morning that, that would invite you in to evaluate your life and to let the scriptures confront us in our life. My question is this, what are you running towards? What are you running towards with your life? And, uh, it's a great week to pose that question with Pastor Russell just completing an Iron Man. Uh, and by the way, I think Pastor Russell might be listening today. So uh, great job. I mean, awesome, right? Very impressive. And thank you. Um, Pastor Russell gives us a picture of what it looks like to run towards something. The, the years that Pastor Russell's been training putting into this moment to, to run towards something. And so when I ask you this question, 
what are you running towards? We're trying to dig beneath the surface here with your life this morning. To run towards something, it is to, to train. It is to wake up in the morning thinking about that finish line, that destination, that ultimate horizon that you're trying to reach to attain. So, so what is it in your life that you are exerting yourself towards? What do you wake up in the morning thinking about? What is that thing that if you could just attain it, you know your life would be complete? If you could just have that one thing and, 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 and have it constantly and have it in abundance and have it increasingly, if you could just reach that, what, what is that in your life that, that you are pressing towards, that you are running towards, that you are making that effort towards? That thing that if you don't get it, you feel like your life will have been in vain. That if you don't get it, you feel as if you will have lost. That thing that if you don't get it, it will devastate you. There will be no recovery. That thing that if you don't have it, if you, if you haven't been able to reach it and can't reach it, then your life, it really doesn't even make sense. It doesn't seem worth living. This might be so subconscious, so beneath the surface, you've never even put it into words, this thing you're running toward. Maybe you've never even sat down to appreciate the fact that your whole life you've been running because our hearts, we, we do not stand still in our hearts. Our hearts were created to run and we run towards that thing which makes us, which promises us and which we believe offers us that ultimate fulfillment, that ultimate happiness, that ultimate we, we call it life. Life is not just quantity of years, but it is a quality. There is a sense of qualitative measure to our life, and we, we look for things. It could be a relationship. It could be a career. It could be a sense of identity. It could be a, an achievement here, an achievement there, or finding love here, finding love in that person, or in this idea it could be family, it could be marriage, it could be success. These ideas, these lofty ideas that we sit out in front of ourselves or that we, we see out in front of ourselves, we identify them as that ultimate thing and we begin running towards it. Every one of us is running towards something. What I want this morning is for you to think about it. Put it on the table so that we can evaluate it. Because whatever you're running towards, that is your hope. And so what I want us this morning to do is to identify the hope that we are running towards, that we are laboring and sweating and making sacrifices for and pursuing and searching for. I want to put it on the table this morning and evaluate it with you. Whatever you're running towards, that is your hope. And the scriptures come this morning. And here's what the scriptures are going to say about your hope and my hope. They're going to say this. Death is the test that hope must pass. You hear that this morning? Death is the test that your hope must pass. And any hope 
that does not pass this test is no hope at all. And that's what we see in verse 13, that when people die and their hope does not pass this test, they begin to grieve in an, in, just in a devastated form of grief because their hope has failed them. If your hope does not pass this test of death, it is, it's a dangerous delusion. It is a dangerous delusion. It will betray you on the day you die if it is anything less than an eternal hope. When I was in Taiwan, I uh, preached a funeral for a man who came to be a very precious friend of mine, but uh, he uh, was diagnosed with terminal cancer in his early 60s when I knew him. But for most of his life, he had been a successful businessman. Everything he touched turned to gold. And for most of his life, his hope, the thing that he was always running towards, always had to have more of, and as long as he had enough of this thing, and was getting more of it, he, he felt that he could put his trust in it. And that was money, that was success, that was the stability and the comfort and the luxury that, that his success and his money brought him. And so his son told me that any time growing up, they would sit down and talk at the table. The conversation would always steer towards money, because that was his hope, that was the aim of his life. Until the day... The doctor sat him down in the doctor's office and said, you have terminal cancer. You have a very aggressive form of cancer. You know, on that day, my friend, who had always hoped in money and success and that had always been a stability for him, on that day, his hope in money just crumbled. It was suddenly no hope at all. And on that day, he fell on the doctor's ankles. His son told me he fell on his doctor's ankles. He began to grasp the doctor's feet and beg him to save him. I mean, that is a picture, a terrifying picture of hope betraying a man in desperation. Here was a grown man who had never had a need in the world that, that money couldn't get him. And suddenly, money couldn't save him. And I watched this man in this season of his life. He went from hope change to hope change. He went from money and success to doctors and the best medicine. And when that couldn't save him, then he turned to going to the temples and worshiping different idols, desperately, desperately looking for a higher power to save him. And when that failed him, I remember there came a day where he came and he, he turned by faith to Christ. He stopped looking for that, that temporal hope to salvage a few years of his life. And he put his hope on Christ who promises eternal hope, eternal life. And, uh, but it's just sobering to see what a tragedy it is to see a person live their whole life running towards something that in the end will betray them because it doesn't pass the test of death. 
So the Thessalonians in this context were in his shoes. They were running hard after idols. They were running hard after these small little hopes that promised them the world, that promised them fulfillment and contentment. These little gods that promised that if you worship me, I'll make you fertile, I'll bless your crop, I'll make you successful in business. If you'll just follow hard after me, I'll be your hope, I'll give you what you need, what you want. And they're running hard after them. Paul comes and preaches the gospel to them. They change their direction and they start running hard after Jesus. And they're running hard. And and Paul has come in and he's preached about this return where Christ is going to come and gather them to be with him forever. And so they're very excited about this and Paul's teaching about this. But suddenly, three weeks in, he, he suddenly has to be smuggled out of Thessalonica because they're trying to find him and kill him. So his teaching gets disrupted and he never got to answer this question for them. The question was, okay, you've convinced us this gathering together of the saints where Jesus comes and gets us and we go to be with him forever. They were convinced that's what we want. That is the ultimate thing to run after. That is the ultimate place to put your hope. So they're convinced, but they were expecting it to happen any minute, just as Christ taught us to expect it to come at any minute. And so they're running hard towards this hope. It kind of reminds me of that movie, In Time, with Justin Timberlake. Uh, Any of you guys seen that? Any hands? Don't be embarrassed. Okay, thank you. All right, kind of reminds me of that movie where the mother and the son are running towards each other, and the, the son has what the mother needs, and so they're running, and it's just a matter of will he get there in time, and right before he gets there and she gets to his arms to, to get what she needs uh, to live, she collapses and she dies, and it's tragic. And, and, and so the Thessalonians are kind of like that. They're running hard towards Jesus, and they're, they're running hard towards his coming, and they can anticipate him coming their way, but suddenly it, it looks like one or two of them have either died, or the question comes up, what if we die before it happens? And they're fearful. They're wondering, is this hope, is this hope greater than death? Or will death actually thwart our getting to this hope? And so they're wondering, is this a risky thing to put our hope in? What if death comes? Will it prevent us from getting our hope? And so they had that question. They put it to Paul, and Paul answers them this. Essentially, Paul says, and and this is what I want to say to us. This is the only hope that is safe to run towards Jesus. And it is a safe hope because Jesus passes the test. Jesus passes the test that every hope must pass. Verse 14, Paul says this, for since we believe that Jesus died He faces death, just as we do. But then it says, and he rose again. So Jesus passes the test. He says, because we believe Jesus passes the test, he died, he faced death, and he rose again. Because of that, even so, through him, by faith in him, God will bring with him those who have died. So, 
of all these people running towards this hope, this, um, this epic hope of being gathered together with Jesus to be with him forever. It's that climax. And all these people running, he's saying, if you die before he comes for you, it's okay. He's saying, because Jesus died and rose again, he is able to raise you up with him and bring you with him. You will not miss the party. You will not miss the gathering. So I want to talk for a quick moment on why we believe that Jesus died and rose again and why we can trust that Jesus passes the test and why we can hope in him. So why do we believe Jesus died and rose again? Here's some reasons we believe this. Here's some reasons we're this crazy to believe that a man died and rose again. First of all, we have the scriptures. And this is not just our book, by the way. This is, the Old Testament belongs to the Jewish people. Um, The Old Testament is the shared story with Islam. The Old Testament and the New Testament is the book adopted by um, all all forms of, of cults. Um, you know, impersonations of Christianity. I mean, there's just dozens of impersonations of Christianity that, that, that come back to this shared story of the scriptures. And in the scriptures, literally hundreds of years before Jesus comes and dies and resurrects, the scriptures are already foretelling that it would happen. All right, so we have prophecies in scriptures such as Isaiah 53, Verse 5, which was written 700 years before Christ came, all right? 700 years before this man Jesus ever was born and ever lived and ever died, there was a prophet Isaiah who said, who looked into the future and said, I see a man coming, he will be pierced for our transgressions, which is a picture of the crucifixion. Before crucifixion had even been invented, he says he was crushed for our iniquities. There's Christ on the cross. He was the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. And then in a few verses later in the same chapter, Isaiah says that after the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life again and be satisfied. That there's the resurrection to see the light of life again after death. So we have the, the Old Testament. Uh, one man counted 191 specific different messianic prophecies in the Old Testament. Prophecies that were foretelling the coming of a savior. 191 specific prophecies that, that, that were all saying one day one man will come and fulfill all of them. In essence, Jesus is the original Cinderella man. He is the one person in history who that glass slipper fit. No one else in history has fit that glass slipper. One uh, mathematic professor out in California gathered 600 different people together, uh, math students, to do a study to say, what are the odds that one person could fulfill just eight of those Old Testament prophecies, just eight. And they came up with this calculation. The chances were one out of one 
one, one in one million billion. That was the chances, all right, of one person fulfilling eight of these prophecies. And then Christ comes in, he emerges on the scene, and he just fulfills all of them. He's the original Cinderella man. But not only was the Old Testament foreshadowing his coming, but when he, once he stepped on the scene, he began to say crazy things, such as tear down that temple, in three days I will rebuild it. And then he was talking about himself. And then he began to speak clearly. He, he began to predict his own death and resurrection. He said in Mark 10, 34, he said, that they, he said, I'm going to Jerusalem and they will kill me. They will kill me. And then three days later, I will rise. Jesus is the original Babe Ruth. He called his own shot. Jesus didn't just die and resurrect. Jesus first told us, I'm going to die. And in three days, I'm going to raise to new life. And then in 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul says that after Jesus had died and come back to life, that he appeared, not to a few people in secret, but he appeared to more than 500 people at one time. And the Apostle Paul says, if you don't believe me, he says, most of those 500 people are still alive. They're still there. You can still go knock on their door and say, did you see Jesus? Did you see Jesus? Did you see Jesus? Yes, yes, he was there. We saw him. 500 people. In, in other words, this was done in broad daylight. A dead man walked among us in broad daylight. They saw him. And we believe Jesus died and rose again because those people who did see him, their lives were forever changed. They were compelled. The disciples and the subsequent followers of Christ throughout the last 2,000 years have been compelled to die agonizing deaths. You don't lay down your life for a false hope. You don't lay down your life for a dead man who promised to come back to life but never did. You don't lay down your life for a lie. These men saw him. These women saw him. They were willing to be stoned, to be crucified, even upside down, to be skinned alive, to be beheaded, rather than denounce their hope, rather than recant their hope. So we believe Jesus was dead, but is now alive because of the way people have willingly laid down their lives for this hope. And then we believe that Jesus is, was dead and is now alive because of the way lives are changed. Because of the way your life is being changed as you put your faith in him. Because of the way my life is being changed as I put my hope in him. Because of the way Lawton Outlaw's life has been changed. And he's going to share his story briefly next week of what God came in and just turned him upside down and saved him from certain destruction, a path he was on. And so we, we believe that God, that Jesus is alive because he is working in people's lives today. And you know, that's why we gather on Sundays. Because Sunday is that gospel tradition where we, because that's the day he was resurrected. 
That's why we gather. That's why the church historically gathers on Sunday. Every day we come together on Sunday, we are making a public statement saying that Jesus is alive. Our hope is alive. He's alive. And that's what you're saying this morning. You got up to make that statement this morning. We came together as the church to worship the one who is alive, who is coming back. We didn't get up to celebrate good morality or good ideas. I, 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 I wouldn't even get up this morning to come see you, even as much as I love you. I wouldn't. I, we could push that back to maybe, you know, noon. We got up this morning to worship the one who is alive, the one who is coming again, the one who we are longing to be with, that, that climax in history where we're going to be there. That's why we get up on Sundays. That's why we get up on Mondays. Because Jesus passes the test of death he, and he's, he is risen, he's the only person I know in history who if he makes a promise that he is greater than death and that he can be a hope greater than death, he's the only person I know in history that, that has the, the credibility to say that. He's the only person that has the credibility to offer himself as a hope greater than death. Your marriage can't do that for you. Your spouse cannot do that for you. Your children, your family cannot do that for you. Your job can't do that. Your boss cannot promise that to you. Only Jesus can promise us a hope greater than death, a hope worth dying for, worth living for, worth running towards. Only Jesus. And that's what he does here. Jesus, it says, since Jesus died and broke loose from the grave, God will most certainly bring us back to, to life, those who have died in him. And then Paul says in verse 15, this we declare to you by a word from the Lord. And so we have a promise in these scriptures this morning. We have a promise from the one who is risen. And here's the promise. I like how the message puts it. He says, we can tell you with complete confidence, we have the master's word on it, that when the master comes again to get us, those of us who are still alive and will, uh, those of us who are still alive will not get a jump on the dead and leave them behind. In actual fact, they'll be ahead of us. The master himself will give the command, the archangel will thunder forth the command and the God's trumpet blast will sound. Nobody's going to miss this. And then he says, um, he will come down from heaven and the dead in Christ will rise. The dead, the dead will go first. So Paul was giving them comfort. He's saying, not only will you not miss this gathering together, not only will you not miss it, but if you die before it comes, you actually get to go to the front of the line. You see that? When, 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 Jesus is our hope. Death not only cannot stop us from attaining that hope, but death actually, God works death so that it actually works for our good. It actually ushers us to the front of the line. We're gonna be with Jesus before those who are still here. And we don't know which one will be, but this is comfort when death comes a knocking. It just means we get to go to the front of the line. But in all of this, Paul is essentially saying, that God is sovereign, he's in control. 
whether you're dead, whether you're alive, what he's saying to us is trust me, trust me. I've got this under control. You're not gonna miss. If you have put your faith in Christ, if he's the one you're running towards, and if that gathering, when he comes again, he gathers us together to be with him forever. If that's the moment in time that you're running towards, he's saying, trust me, nothing's gonna stop you from participating in that. Trust me. So I wanna say in closing this morning, If you're not running towards this hope, if you're not running towards this hope, then these words will not encourage you. These words are to encourage us as we run towards this hope. Verse 17 and 18. Paul says, so we will be with the Lord forever. So we will be with the Lord forever. So we will be with the Lord forever. Is this the hope you're running towards? You know that if we'll look closely at our life and if we'll let the scriptures inform us about who we are and how he's made us and if we'll let the scripture shine light, what you'll see is that we are yearning, whether we realize or not, we are yearning for this gathering. We are yearning for this moment in time where we will finally be together, all those in Christ, with Jesus. Really, all of life is yearning for that. Think about the the things that seem big to us in life. Think about the big, exciting NBA basketball games we go to. Or think about the art galleries that we go and we visit. We sit in these art galleries and we're just amazed at these beautiful paintings. They just stir us. They inspire us. We go to the football game and we just yell at the top of our lungs so loudly cheering and hollering. And there's just this energy that's just pulsing through us. And then we go to the skate park and we, 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 we try to do the most sickest trick we can do. And everyone goes nuts when it happens. And then we, we, we fall in love with that special woman or that special man. We get married and we have these beautiful babies or we, we give ourselves to a noble cause. You know, all these things that seem, they, they just seem so massively important and beautiful. You know, really? They're just glimpses. They're just faint whispers of what it's gonna be like when we stand in the presence of the one who created all of that and we behold his glory. We, we see the one who all of that emanates from, Christ, he is the creator of all that. He's the one that, that even wired us to be dazzled by all these little things. And when we get to behold him in his glory, it will be the perfection of all those things that we've been running after. They will just, as uh, Matt said, he's the one that we, our delight and our joy will terminate on. And so if you're not running towards that, 
but you're running towards the small echoes or the small whispers, then you're like, you're like Hansel and Gretel. These small things, are they're, they're good things in our life, but they're not ultimate things. They're actually breadcrumbs that if we will follow them, they will lead us to this ultimate hope. So like family's a good thing. Uh, skateboarding is a good thing. Basketball's a good thing. Art gallery's a good thing. Your friendships are good things, but these are breadcrumbs. We're meant to pick them up, to taste them, to enjoy them for a moment, but they're meant to help us keep moving towards this ultimate thing. And if you have stopped and you have said, this is as far as I'm going, marriage, I got it, good job, I got it, this is where I stop. I'm camping out here. I'm gonna eat this bread until it fills me up. You're gonna eat all the bread up and you're gonna lose the trail. Um, I remember when I was a real little boy, like three years old, um, I saw my dad across the room at church and I was gonna, uh, I was gonna run to him and I was gonna tackle him. <laughs> I was gonna grab his lap, I was real little and he's real tall. So I remember I started off running, you know, slow motion because I'm a kid and, you know, takes a while to get across the room and, and I'm running towards my dad and I'm gonna grab his leg and I'm getting excited about it and I'm hoping maybe he'll wrestle me a little bit and, or pick me up and hug me or I just needed some attention from my dad but he was kind of that, that hope I was running towards. And so I'm running but somewhere along the way I put my head down to get a little more speed and I guess I kind of veered off because uh, I ran and I tackled this leg and I just locked onto it and I thought I had my dad and I looked up it was not my dad. It was this strange man I had never seen before. I just remember the sense of terror I had as a little boy, just humiliation and terror as I looked up and I saw I had tackled the wrong man, and, you know, and I let go real fast and ran off, you know, scared and trembling and thinking, oh my gosh. So I, I was just thinking though, Could some of you be in danger? Could some of you be in danger of running towards the wrong hope today? Maybe some of us, we started off with the right hope. We had our eyes set on Christ. We're running hard after him. But somewhere along the way, we put our heads down to get some speed. But have you veered off? Have you been running towards the wrong hope, the wrong thing to satisfy you, to complete you, to make you happy, to give you life? My fear is this. You're going to get one day, you're going to reach that hope only to look up and be terrified to realize you have hoped in the wrong thing. So the invitation this morning is that we would consider what our hope is. And if it is not Christ and running hard after him to be with him forever, to share that with all of our brothers and sisters in Christ, if that is not our hope, that we would look up and see and change directions. And that's the invitation this morning. That we would turn from idols to serve the living and true God and the wait for his return. When I got back from Taiwan, I helped preach the funeral of another man. 
He was a man I grew up with. His name was Brother Red Allison. And all his life, he had been running, running hard towards Jesus. And his wife shared at his funeral with me about how on the day they were sitting in the doctor's office together and the doctor looked him in the eye and said, you have terminal cancer. There is no cure. Brother Red looked the doctor in the eye. He didn't have to think about it. He just looked him in the eye and he said to the doctor, I know where I'm going. I've got my bags packed and I'm looking forward to it. That's a picture of a man running hard after Jesus. Let's pray together. Father God, as we get ready to take communion and celebrate your death where you broke your body on the cross for us, you shed your blood for us to forgive us of our sins. And as we get ready to celebrate communion and we remember that you didn't stay dead, but you conquered death, Lord, help us to see that you are inviting us to lay down our faulty hopes and place our hope in you to begin to run hard towards you. It's in Christ's precious name I pray, amen.